I'm turning this evening to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and verse 27. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27. The words of Christ, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And our subject is the greatest imaginable legacy. And this text is about a legacy, the legacy of Christ to his disciples. What did he leave? The legacy of Christ to his disciples of all generations, of all ages in the world until the end comes. All who are his disciples, peace I leave with you. Well, many in this congregation will have received or may receive a legacy, and many no legacy. And a legacy is a wonderful thing, especially if the one who gives it was wealthy, had substance. It's fortunate indeed if someone is left a property, a large house. Someone is left everything they could conceivably need for the rest, the remainder of their lives. A legacy, something left. What is this? Christ, though he was the eternal Son of God, second member of the triune Godhead, incarnate, come into this world, yet he lived as a poor man. He lived without property. He did not amass a fortune. Just think what he might have done had he been inclined to. He possessed all power. He could do anything. We know he carried out thousands upon thousands of astonishing, compassionate healings. He could have just charged something for them and it would have amounted to a fortune and people might have gladly paid. But that was not his purpose, the purpose of his coming. And he lived, therefore, as a poor man. So what was his legacy? He tells us here, peace I leave with you. And this will be our first heading, peace I leave with you. I'm going to do very simply three headings this evening from this astonishing text, peace I leave with you. Well, what is that? Peace. It sounds like a mere religious platitude of some kind. Peace. Well, you may be interested to know that the word peace in the Greek comes from the verb to join. So what is being left is being set at one or joined. I leave with you. It isn't just peace, meaning serenity, tranquility, 
stillness, calm. The peace that Christ left is the capacity to be joined and at one with God. In other words, in a single word, he left the possibility of reconciliation. Reconciliation is my legacy, he said. Reconciliation I leave with you, my disciples. It will be yours after my death. You will possess it. Reconciliation with God. Now that is the greatest imaginable legacy. To be reconciled with God. To have God as your Father and your Lord and your Guardian and your Provider. To have God love you. To be one possessed by him. One whom he coaches and cares for and looks after and plans for. It's beyond human words to describe the value of this. This is better than all the property you could think of, of all the wealth. Reconciliation with God. This is the greatest legacy that could ever be made. The legacy to his followers, to his disciples, of Christ the Lord, the incarnate God who came to be the saviour of the world. Well, when you consider the people to whom he leaves this legacy, it is even more remarkable. Well, who are they? They are people who formerly were his enemies. Now, there's a certain amount of compassion in the world, and uh, people are concerned about those who's, uh, who are in difficulties, in trouble, in need, in want. And while there's a lot of neglect, there is a certain amount of real compassion. That's part of the goodness of God, to make sure that's left in this world. But there's not much compassion for enemies. There's not much compassion for people who are hostile to us. Contrary to us, as the old-fashioned word goes, so different from us and against us in every conceivable way, who insult us or reject us, not much compassion toward them. But here is God coming to deal with his enemies, the people who have no time for him, no interest in him, and if there's talk of him, are ready to scorn him, to disbelieve in him, to insult him, to spread the infection of unbelief and scorn if they can, to ignore his rules and his standards and his tastes, to do every conceivable thing and sin which is offensive to him, so that his righteous indignation is aroused against us. That's the situation. And to such people, that's us, by nature, as we come into this world. To us is nothing but the possibility of mercy and kindness, compassion, forgiveness. 
That is astonishing. That is godlike. That is the loving kindness of God. Despite his holiness and his anger at sin, he's ready to pardon and to forgive and to save and to bless. But then we take the next step and we consider, yes, and at what cost? How far does our compassion run? Will you give something to certain charities that are helping some current deep need? You probably will. How much would you give? Would you give everything you have in the bank? I doubt it. Would you give two-thirds of your home? Would you scale down all your property and exchange a nice car for a poor one? Would you give sacrificially? You think of the cost to God of securing our salvation, that Christ had to come into this sinful world and suffer humiliation, become the incarnate God, the God-man, and live here amidst all the squalor and the filth of sin, and then go to Calvary's cross and take the eternal weight of punishment due to us as sinners in his own body on the tree, and beyond all human comprehension, to suffer an eternity of God's righteous indignation upon our sin, compressed into six hours on his holy soul on Calvary's cross. The cost of salvation was so vast, even to God. All that is astonishing. Peace I leave with you. A gift, a gift of reconciliation. That's what we're reading about here. There's an illustration in the Bible that comes up in various shapes and forms. And I'm going to simplify it. It is the illustration of a city-state. And this city-state has been built and endowed by some regional king or lord who has jurisdiction on the entire area or country. Well, there were many city-states in olden times and they enjoyed a measure of independence. If they were in regions where there were earthquakes, it was the overlord country that would pay for the rebuilding time after time and so on. And here's a city-state and they decide to declare independence, UDI, and to rebel, and to write their own rules and laws, and ignore the king of the area, the region, and to stop paying any homage that was required, or any honor, and all the messengers that are sent, they execute. So here's a city-state in rebellion. And what happens? Well, uh, sanctions are taken against them. A certain force is sent to uh, urge them to uh, surrender and submit and go back to the normal order of things. This is how it worked in the ancient world. And, uh, of course, the city falls into disrepair 
They can't trade anymore, the city-states. They can't uh, prosper as they used to. There's no toing and froing. They're now in fear of their lives and everything deteriorates and collapses and eventually the overlord comes with an army, lays siege to them and they do surrender. If they're fortunate, that may lead to peace. They've surrendered. There'll be a change of uh, local government in that city-state, whoever the local warlord is who decided to rebel. And then everything can be reconstructed. There can be peace with their overlord. There can be travel once again. There can be trade. There can be prosperity. The two sides are reconciled. They're at one again. And that's a picture of the situation between mankind, individuals, and God. We're in a state of rebellion, a state of hostility, a state of refusal to obey him. We want to, well, we want moral liberty, to do as we like. We don't want to be directed by God. We don't want to be under him. We don't want to pay homage to him. We don't want to worship him. We don't want to study him or think of him or love him or please him. We've declared UDI. We're in trouble in life. Life will ultimately disappoint. We're alienated from God. We cannot pray. We cannot know him. He will not help us because we're in rebellion and pretty bad rebellion too. Utter unbelief and hostility. And yet there is mercy and there is the possibility of peace and reconciliation. And that's the meaning of this. So I'm sorry it's taken me a while, but peace I leave with you. Not about just tranquility, but about being reconciled, no longer alienated, at one with God under his power and goodness and blessing. Peace I leave with you. That's the first heading. What is peace? It's priceless reconciliation. But the second one, my peace I give unto you. My peace. Why my peace? Christ's peace. Well, it should be obvious to us. He is the only one who possesses this. He's the only one who can leave it to us or give it to us. Only he has the power of reconciliation. So he's entitled to call it my peace, my reconciliation with God. I give to you. I leave to you. It's his because only the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, can bring about reconciliation. We've already mentioned it. What must he do? He must come, dear friends. He must be our representative. He must be our sin-bearer, our scapegoat. He must pay the price which we should pay, and we can't pay it. That's why we would be everlastingly condemned. He must be punished instead of us. 
God is holy. He cannot abide sin. He must punish it with everlasting destruction. God is love. But if he is to show his love, what is he going to do about the sin? Because he is holy and just. He must come and suffer it himself and pay on our behalf. It's Christ's peace because only he could pay the price. There is no saviour in Islam. There is no saviour in any religion on earth apart from the greatest, and that is the Christian faith, the Jewish Christian tradition. Only in that is there a saviour who is incarnate God who came to suffer and die. My peace, because he possesses it, He's purchased it. He's come to suffer and die on Calvary. That's why he calls it a legacy. Did you get it from the beginning? My peace I leave as a legacy. He's got to die first before he can possess it and leave it. He will possess and achieve and accomplish this reconciling power by dying on Calvary's cross. So he calls it a legacy, something he will leave to them once he's done that. I will suffer, I will die, and leave you. Reconciliation. My peace. An angel couldn't do it. An angel isn't possessing human flesh. He cannot be our representative. The greatest man in the history of the world, who is only a man, couldn't do it. Five minutes and less, probably five seconds, of the awful suffering that Christ bore would destroy him. The one who hung on Calvary and paid the price of our sin must be man to be our representative and God to sustain the punishment. He must be God and man to purchase our salvation and to bear away our sin. My peace I leave with you. What had Christ accumulated during the course of his life? Well, he'd accumulated righteousness because he was God as well as man. He never sinned. He had become qualified to be our saviour from sin. What else had he accumulated? When at last he suffered and died on Calvary, he secured the power to reconcile us to God. What else had he accumulated? Houses? Lands? No, he didn't leave those. He didn't leave anything like that. He left something infinitely more valuable. Eternal life. Spiritual life now. A walk with God. And eternal life in everlasting glory. By what he did on Calvary's cross. Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. That's the purpose and the message of Christ. I come to third heading. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Not as the world giveth. Now this is for our consideration in our closing moments. Christ gives forgiveness, reconciliation with God, a new life, a new character, a new nature, a new understanding. He gives you priceless things and heaven forever. What does the world give you? Leave church tonight. Spurn the message of God. Turn your back on wonderful things. Say, I'm for this world and for this life. Because by turning away from God, I get moral freedom. I can do whatever I like. By turning away from God, I keep my self-determination. I decide everything in my life. I get to choose everything I want. I'm not coming under the rule of God and his standards. However good you say he is, I don't want that. You turn away from God? Well, here's the alternative. Not as the world giveth. So what does the world give? Well, here's the list. Passing things. Temporary things. Fleeting things. That's all you get from the world. Happiness for a moment. Then you've got to go to something else. Go to something else. Go to something else. Interspersed with so many disappointments and so many heartaches. Passing things. And if you live to a hundred, that's no time at all. It's all gone. Everything you leave behind. Not as the world gives. Just temporary, fleeting joys and possessions. Uncertain things the world gives. I worked hard to achieve my objectives, you'll say. I did all the studies. I worked through the ranks in my profession. I made sacrifices. I lost all kinds of things on the way to get finally where I wanted to go. And then it was a mirage. It wasn't what I expected. It was drudgery and disappointment and responsibility and difficulty and grief and setback all the way. And then when I reached the pinnacle, the whole thing collapsed or I was made redundant or this or that or unfairly dealt with and promises never kept. Such as the world giveth, uncertain things. And one could give so many examples. Things fade and fail if you live only for the physical dimension and not the spiritual if you live only for the here and now and not for the eternal, if you live only for the transient and not the everlasting, you find they fail. 
and they fade. Corrupting things, things that change you. Riches, perhaps, that make you conceited and unbearable. Things that will corrupt your soul. Substitutes for seeking God and true depth and satisfaction. Trinkets on earth that will corrupt you and your taste and your understanding of all things. That's what the world gives you. Things on short loan, expensive things, things that cost you dearly. Nothing's free in this world. It costs you work, costs you emotions and energy, costs you sacrifices, and the world parsimoniously gives you little rewards, and you think they're wonderful at the time, but one day you'll see how dearly you paid for them. Expensive things. Things that substitute God. What does the world give you? A confined environment. A narrow life. No deep joy and spiritual satisfaction. Plus anxiety and pain and grief and sorrow and parting. And sometimes tragedy and sickness and death. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you what it is to come to Christ and to receive so much, a changed life, a walk with God, the ability to pray, a new understanding like having an emancipated mind. Spiritual power poured into your life, character, new nature, and eternal glory, real depth and peace with God. Finally, just as we close, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be stirred in the sense of being agitated by this message. This is a legacy. It may be that, yes, part of you desires the forgiveness of God, a new life from God. And if that's the case, you may be sure that the enemy of your soul, Satan, the enemy of your soul, will be on to you in a moment. And a voice will say within you, Love, worship, and obey God? You can't do that. Think what you'll lose. You'll lose some of your sins. You won't be able to strut about in pride, so proud of your every accomplishment lapping up the applause at every opportunity. Oh, the heady sensation of thinking you're so wonderful because God will call you to humility and reasonableness, not to be conceited, big-headed, arrogant. Oh, no, but I don't want that. 
I want to be free, to be somebody. And pride will say within, you can't listen to this. Just think, if you come to God, you've got to grovel. And you've got to tell him you're a sinner and a failure and that you need his help and you need to be remade and given new life. You're not going to do that, are you? The devil will say to you, I don't want that. He'll try all kinds of things to turn you away. I want to make up my own mind about everything. You'll say, I want to have complete moral freedom. Let not your heart be troubled, agitated, afraid. This text says, I have accomplished salvation. My peace I give unto you. I have suffered and paid for all who come to me. I will come to you and save you and bless you. Peace, reconciliation, I give you as a gift, a legacy. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You just come on your knees and you acknowledge your sin, repent before God, and you trust in Christ and what he's done, and you yield your life to him, and at once he works within you. It's a legacy that is left to all who come to him. Pray to him, seek him, ask him, yield to him, and life will be altogether new and different, and you'll know it, and prove him, and from that moment on, you'll know he's your God, and you are his, and there will be a great river of evidence runs through your life almost every day, and you'll love him and serve him now and forever. Let's pray together. Oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, look upon us all, move in our hearts. Oh, to have the legacy of Christ, the precious, priceless legacy of Christ, purchased by his precious blood. Oh Lord, help us and draw us even to thyself. We ask it in his name, for his sake. Amen.